When we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we're doing more than uh, simply just studying an ancient text. We actually believe that God speaks to us through those words. So let's just take a moment of silence um, to clear our minds and quiet our hearts so we can listen to God's word. Tonight's reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter (coughs) 2. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God firmed from the fertile land all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and brought them to the human to see what he would name them. The human gave each living being its name. The human named all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But a perfect helper fit for him was nowhere to be found. Among the treasures which make life worth living, one stands out as the most precious and yet the most precarious. It's precious because it gives meaning to all that we do and accomplish. It's precarious because it is alive. And like all living things, without continual care and attention, it withers and dies. This treasure is friendship author and professor Paul Anderson. It's funny watching my oldest boys learn how to make friends. They're four and six, and so as they're navigating the world of friendship, and when they meet someone new at the park or the playground, like immediately they start playing together. Like no questions asked, total stranger, here we go, let's play. And then like 10 minutes later, after they met them, they're like, that kid right there, best friend I ever had. like, best friend. That guy, red shirt, love him. And then they start giving me instructions. They're like, invite him to my birthday party. It's like six months away. But they're like, invite that guy. They're like, play date. I want to do a play date. I'm like, cool. What's, what's, what's his name? And they're like, red shirt guy? <laughs> love him. And I didn't have to like say any of this to them, you know? Like I didn't like talk to them about like making friends. Like at a very young age, we get the importance of friendship, of friends. And I think at a really young age, we know the pain of being friendless We know the loneliness of friends changing or friends moving away, friends falling away or drifting away. Some of us, we know what it is to start over in a new school or start over in a new city. When I was 10, uh, my family, we moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Jacksonville, Florida. And I like vividly can picture that first day of fifth grade and walking into a new classroom where I didn't know anyone. Like I can feel, I almost can feel that 10-year-old anxiety of knowing no one. And then I opened my mouth and they couldn't believe like what a thick Southern accent I had, which was also news to me. I didn't know I had it. And I think I dropped it that day. That's why you don't hear one. (laughs) Fifth grade is scarring. Uh, But we're starting this, this new series today on the art of friendship. This treasure that is both precious and precarious. But I don't think we talk about it that much. The ins and outs of friendship, of making friends as adults, of navigating conflict or or disappointment in friendship, of walking through seasons where, where friends drift away or move away, of growing as a friend, of becoming a good friend, of doing the work to become a better friend. We don't talk that much about the spirituality of friendship, the theology of friendship, this treasure that's both precious and precarious. We don't talk about it that much, of living in a post-pandemic world that we're still kind of navigating how to be humans out in the wild again, living in a fragmented, divided world, of living in a digital age where the average American spends more than four hours a day on their phone, and it feels like we're kind of slowly losing our ability to pay attention to the person in front of us, to actually be present right where we are. We don't talk about it that much, the ins and outs of friendship in a consumeristic culture 
where there's always choices and always options, always there to meet our needs. And it can be easy to turn people in just like a, a means to our ends. We don't talk about it that much, the fact that most people meet friends at work. Well, what happens when you work from home? Or when you're totally burned out from work and you don't have energy for any of that? <laughs> Friendship, this treasure that's both precious and precarious, and we don't talk about it that much, that the friendship is actually key to how we live as followers of Jesus out in the world. That friendship is actually key to how we move through the world sticking close to Jesus. So let's start here in the beginning, Genesis. Go to the back, book of Genesis. In the beginning, God. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, bringing forth life. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And on and on it goes, land and seas, day and night, birds and animals, and then humanity itself, male and female, made in the image of God. And God declares it all to be good. Here in Genesis 1 and 2, we find a poetic recounting of creation. Author Justin Whitmill Early writes this. He says, think about hearing the benediction thunder like a divine drum over all things. The Trinity, likely in three-part harmony, shouting, good, good, good. Note that God says good seven times in the beginning of Genesis. It's this rhythmic refrain of the chapter, but that refrain gets halted with something like a record scratch as the music stops when we get to verse 18, chapter 2. Record scratches, breaks slam on, not good. It's not good. It's not good for the human to be alone. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the human that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. I was watching postseason baseball this past week. Rest in peace to my Atlanta Braves. (laughs) And a commercial for Jim Beam bourbon came on. And it showed a crowd of people like slowly coming into a bar, and then like one by one, they all start singing uh, "Sweet Caroline," Neil Diamond, you know, as you do. It's happened to all of us. They start singing the song together, and everyone like joins in. And the tagline at the end of the commercial was this: "It was people are good for you." That could be the alternate title for the sermon series: "People are good for you." And all God's people said, "Yes, duh." <laughs> But this commercial is naming something very, very true, something universally true, that we were made for human connection. It's hardwired into what it means to be human. Author and psychiatrist Kurt Thompson says this, we're all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. And we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. We're looking for someone attuned to us, paying attention to us, coming after us, someone who is with us. It's hardwired into what it means to be human, and we remain in this mode of searching our whole lives. So if anyone ever tells you that all you need is God, you say you're wrong. (laughs) Because, yeah, we were made to enjoy life with God, but the first human had God, and it was not good It was not good for that human to be alone. If someone ever tells you that you shouldn't be lonely, that you should just be content, then I want you to take Genesis 2, verse 18, and I want you to throw it in their face. (laughs) It's pointing, though, to this reality of our need for people. People are good for you. So says the Bible and Jim Bean. (laughs) This passage is often thought of in terms of marriage. and And sure, yes, it is looking at Uh, marriage, giving a picture of marriage. But it's not just that. 
It's pointing us to the soul's need and desire for connection. That the Lord recognizes the need for companionship. The Lord put the need for companionship in us. God says, I will make a helper suitable. Perfect. Let's talk a minute about that word helper. The word helper is a translation of a Hebrew word that most of the time is used in Scripture to refer to God. As in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That word, it never refers to a subordinate or an inferior. The woman was not made, if you keep reading in Genesis 2, the woman's not made to be like assistant gardener here. It's not putting the woman in a subservient role to men. A better translation is something like a partner corresponding to him. That they're made as equals, as friends, as companions. Some scholars would argue that it should be translated as saving strength corresponding to him. That that is saving strength. Because in every other use of that Hebrew word, it refers to a strength, a a rescuer, a savior. Okay, back to my main point. (laughs) The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, says it's not good for the human to be alone. And in this, again, it's not decrying singleness. Jesus, God, in the flesh, in the incarnation, lived as a single human being, a single man. And Jesus was the most fully alive human ever. It's not decrying singleness. It's decrying isolation. For far too long, the church has lifted up marriage over singleness, as if marriage is better. And we have at times created an idol out of marriage. And it's not just in the church. In her book, Platonic, Dr. Marissa Franco, who is a professor at the University of Maryland, she says this, she says, Platonic love lies at the lowest rung of the hierarchy our culture places on love. Platonic love, or friendship, gets put at the bottom. And she says it's a devastating loss to us all if we leave it there. So think about it. Do you agree? Do you see that? This side does? They're thinking. Is that true? Have we devalued friendship? Franco says this. She said, compared to our families and romantic partners, with friends, we invest less time, are less vulnerable, and share less adoration. And to repeat, Franco again, she says, it's a devastating loss when we put friendship in last place. It's not good for the human to be alone. And of course we feel that. We know that the not goodness of loneliness, of isolation, According to one study, Denver is the third loneliest city in the U.S. And I wonder, is it hard to name that? All the research I've been doing for the sermon and the series, people talk about like a stigma attached to loneliness. I don't know if you feel that, but tonight we can say to feel lonely is also deeply human, a deeply human experience, common to us all at some point or another. We've all felt that way. And more and more of us are feeling that way lately. The U.S. Surgeon General calls it a public health crisis, an epidemic of loneliness. And perhaps that can sound big and abstract and kind of like, how do I wrap my mind around that? So let's bring it back down for a minute. I'm going to quote Whitmill early again. He has a book called Made for People, subtitle, Why We Drift into Loneliness and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship. I love that subtitle, Fight for a Life of Friendship. He says this. He says, loneliness comes from losing a loved one. Loneliness comes from moving away. It comes from changing churches or seeing a small group dissolve. Loneliness comes from being excluded or breaking up. It comes from a divorce or being hurt by someone. 
But often, strangely, it comes when you're surrounded by everyone but don't feel known by anyone. Your loneliness might come from the paradox when you have a strong community in theory but do not have time for them in practice. Your loneliness might happen when you have incredible friends who have now moved away. Your loneliness could be the pain of not being understood by your family. Or perhaps it is the isolation you feel when you're going through something incredibly difficult, and though you're surrounded by friends, no one seems to understand it. And then he writes this, the current of modern life means that unless we swim with all of our might in the other direction, we will drift toward becoming someone who used to have friends. Chuck's going to come back to that idea in a couple of weeks that the current that pulls us away from friendship, that pulls us into loneliness. And and how do we name it? How do we identify it? And how do we together swim against it? Chuck and I, we moved to Denver four years ago. I had lived in Colorado Springs before that. I had lived in Colorado Springs for 10 years. I worked uh, at this church for 10 years. I worked with some of my best friends on this staff. And we had this, this community of friends that Chuck and I were a part of. We built this solid friend community. And then we saw many of those friends move away. And then we moved 60 miles north to Denver, started over here, and we jumped into work planting a church and and pastoring a church and raising two little boys and chasing two little boys and being really tired from chasing two little boys. And then the pandemic hit, and good friends uh, moved away, new friends came. Then we went through the grief of a miscarriage, and then we had another baby, and then there was like a year of sleep deprivation and sickness. We had a really rough winter, and and we, we looked up, and we were like, it is so hard to make friends as adults. And so we were trying to be more intentional, and we gave each other space to, to be with our friends. And, and then we looked up, and we're like, it's so hard to make friends as adults. So let's talk about it, this treasure that's both precious and precarious. Let's talk about the ins and outs of friendship, a theology, a spirituality of friendship, about how friendship is actually key to how we live in the world as followers of Jesus. Author Susan Metz in her book, The Loneliness Epidemic, says this, if belonging is the near opposite of loneliness, friendship is often the most powerfully anti-loneliness form of belonging. Yes, even more than kinship. The evidence, especially as people grow older, is that chosen rather than inherited relationships are the ones that have, most, that have the most to do with loneliness. Our dream as a church to be a part of what Jesus is doing, to see signs of Christ's renewal. And one of those signs is community, that our life together would be an antidote to loneliness that we feel that others feel. That's why we're hosting an event next Saturday called Cultivating Connection, a curated conversation to bring people together, all of us, neighbors, friends, whoever. Let's talk about it. Author and speaker Becky Lana will lead us in this curated conversation talking about friendship as the way forward practical skills to move towards people, to cultivate friendship, to be part of the solution in this public health crisis. How do we cultivate our friendships? Maybe it's new ones you want. Maybe it's just deeper ones you want. Maybe you're in a hard spot in a friendship, a conflict, and you just need wisdom of how do I do this? Maybe it's a friendship that's coming to the end. How do I walk through that? It's not good for the human to be alone. We were made for connection, this treasure that's precious and precarious, While we're naming that need, we can also name the hard reality. In the presence of God, we're invited to be honest, to name the hard realities, whatever the reality is, that many of us in this room do feel lonely, maybe acutely so. If you aren't now, maybe 
in the recent past, the far past, certainly in the future, it's, again, common to us all. There's times in our lives when we face loneliness, when we desire friends that we don't have or, or deeper levels of friendship. It's part of the reality of living in this broken but beautiful world that, that's good and necessary desires that we have. Part of the reality of living in a beautiful but broken world is that the good and necessary desires we have sometimes go unmet or require strenuous effort to actually reach for those desires, to actually maintain those desires. So what do we do? Shut down our hearts? Let's just go home? <laughs> just go watch Netflix? What do we do? Do we give up on our desire for connection, for friendship? How do we stay alive to our own hearts, our own desire, and the in-between when it's not what we want it to be, when we're not yet there? Well, here's the good news tonight. Is that God knows our need. That God cares about it deeply. Companionship and friendship and community and connection. God put that in us. That we were made for friendship. And friendship is good and beautiful and it's a struggle. And Jesus knows the struggle. For any desire we have, what we're invited to do is not shut down our hearts, but to bring our desires to God. To trust that God can hold all of that. To trust Jesus with all that we desire and long for. That Jesus will meet us there and hold those desires with us and navigate all of this with us. That Jesus will actually meet us here. If we want to learn the art of friendship, you have to look to Jesus. He's a true friend who can invite us into true friendship and teach us true friendship in this beautiful but broken world. I love the internet meme, maybe you've seen it, that says uh, no one talks about Jesus' miracle of being a man in his 30s with 12 close friends. No one talks about what a miracle that was. There's a passage I'm sure we're going to come back to again and again in this series, and it's John 15. Tell you read part of it at the beginning of our service. Jesus says, I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father, I have made known to you. What if one of the primary ways we relate to God is that of friend? The God who spoke creation into being calls you friend. And there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We look up looking for someone looking for us. We look up and there is Jesus, a companion, a saving help who will never leave us. What if friendship is key to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, key to our Christian calling, to fully live into all that God has for us? What if we need to embrace friendship? So I'm going to invite you into a moment of quiet now, just to sit with wherever you're at. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know your story of friendship right now, what that looks like, what you're navigating, what you're trying to figure out in your friendships. I invite you into a moment of quiet just to name that. Where you're at, your desires, what you want, what you're hoping for, name that to Jesus. To trust that Jesus is here and Jesus will meet you in that. Let's take a few moments of quiet to name your desires to God. God, in the week ahead, we pray that you continue to speak to us. Whatever you're saying to us, whatever desires we're naming to you, we pray that you would lead us, Holy Spirit, guide us, direct our steps. In your name we pray. Amen.